0: Hey, before we jump into the message today, let me give you a little update on our building project. Uh, So there's really two separate phases, the front of the building and then the expansion of the worship center here. So the front of the building will be done in just weeks, just a few weeks. Really, it's just, you know, finishing touches right now. And it is so incredible. I can't wait to see how God is going to use that. Then the expansion of the worship center. So everything behind this wall... Um, is already being worked on. In fact, here's kind of the plan. Uh, They're going to really get it almost finished, um, and that should happen somewhere around the 1st of November, and then uh, we will stop worshiping in here, and we will go to our gym, and we will worship there on Saturday night two Sunday mornings, uh, beginning somewhere around the 1st of November. And during those weeks that we're out of this worship center, they will connect the two buildings. And probably six to eight weeks, something like that. So then the new worship center uh, should be done somewhere around the first of the year. And I just, I mean, it's going to be so great. Thank all of you so much who have given and sacrificed and uh, prayed for uh, that to happen. So uh, a couple days ago, Jenny and I were just walking through the new part of the building in the front. And we were just a little, Wow. We I mean, were just kind of holding hands, walking through there, and I just said, "Babe, do you have any idea we'd ever you know see this kind of stuff?" No, we had no idea. man. 30 years ago when we started this, man, and I was just kind of thinking back about 1992, we had a little white frame worship center. it was 23 feet across, and to think then, what God would have done now is just... Unbelievable. But then, you know, something dawned on me. In August of 1951, there were some folks who were on a little plot of land over there on Highway 87, and they started to pray and dream about God planting a church there. And they did it. And when they built that very first building 23 feet across in the worship center. But you know what? They were just as in awe of what God was doing as I am now. And because of their faithfulness, and then a generation after them, and a generation after them, and a generation after them, here we are. And you know what's going to happen? 70 years from now, there are going to be people say, you know, there were a group of people who sacrificed and gave and prayed and served. So that God would build his church right here at OBC. And what's going to be happening then, 70 years from now, they'll be saying about us, just like I say about those folks from 1951. Without them, this couldn't have been possible. But with God, all things are possible, right? There, there are no limits with God. And I just can't wait to see all that God's going to do. So let's go back a little further than that even. You know where all that started? On a hill in Galilee where after the resurrection, Jesus met his disciples there and he told them just 11 men to go into all of the world with the gospel. And they did it. And then just a few days after that, they went to Jerusalem just like Jesus told them to. And the Holy Spirit came and boom, just lit a fire and the church was born. And now people all over the world just like us are being that same church. We have the same truth of God's word. We have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit indwelling us. We are God's people who one day will all be together in glory. And I love the way the Bible describes that. There'll be thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand all singing worthy is the lamb who will say. Isn't that going to be great when all the church of all the ages gather together? It's going to be amazing. But it's amazing now. We don't want to miss it. And I'm just so grateful uh, for all that that God's doing in this church. And that's because of your faithfulness, your desire to live a life for Jesus. Um, So we are uh, in week three of our series called Be the Church. Um, And here at OBC, here's how we're trying to do that. Um, We're trying to help people love Jesus and everyone else. Because if we help people love Jesus, that means they got to know Jesus. That means they're going to become born again. They're going to become a child of God. But then, not just to love Jesus and stop there, but also to love everyone else. So that fulfills both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And we have a, um, a strategy here to help people love Jesus and everybody else. And here's what it is. I, we, he. So it goes something like this. How, you know, how, how are we going to help people love Jesus and everybody else, I, we, he, I, uh, just is about me. What I have to do as an individual follower of Jesus to help people love Jesus and everybody else. Cause there's some things nobody else can do for me. Um, and then we, uh, which is about being in a group. We're going to talk about this next week because there are some things nobody else can do for me, but there's some things I can't do by myself. I have to join with a group of other believers in order to help people love Jesus and everybody else. And then he, uh, that's about corporate worship. We're doing it right now. But it's also about going into all the world with the gospel. And so we're going to be talking about that in just a couple of weeks. So we're going to wrap up the I component today today um, of our I, we, he strategy to help people love Jesus and everybody else. And here's what it says. I have a personal relationship with Jesus and regularly practice five spiritual disciplines, Bible study, prayer, serving, giving, and sharing my faith. Um, so last week we talked about two of those spiritual disciplines, Bible study and prayer. And those are kind of things that you expect to hear. I mean, man, if you're going to be the church, if we're going to be uh, committed followers of Jesus Christ, we have to get our nose in a book. We got to get our knees on the floor. Praying and Bible study are just uh, so important, critical uh, to knowing Jesus and being his church. Now, today we're going to talk about the the next three um, spiritual disciplines, um, serving, giving, and sharing my faith. Mm, Those are the hard ones. Those are the ones that really test whether or not we're going to exercise spiritual discipline. You, you, You see, like most things in life, if they're worth doing, they require discipline. But they're worth it. I love what, what Proverbs says. Proverbs twenty-three, twelve says, Apply yourself to discipline and listen to the words of knowledge. Um, you guys get this, right? Uh, what we're undisciplined about today will cost us tomorrow. That's why A.W. Tozer said, Not perfection, but holy intention is what matters most. Now, why would he say that? Because... Perfection really isn't a possibility here on planet Earth. That's what heaven's for. But holy intention is what drives us. Holy intention is what drives us to exercise spiritual disciplines. And it's the spiritual disciplines that we practice on a regular basis that helps us to be usable in the hand of God And that's how we are being the church. Now, spiritual disciplines are a little harder to discern than um, other kinds of disciplines. For instance, man, if we're undisciplined... In eating, we just pile on the pounds. I mean, that becomes obvious. If we're undisciplined in exercise, man, we're huffing and puffing trying to get up a set of stairs, right? If we're undisciplined in spending, we are net deep in, in debt. If we're undisciplined at work, we can't keep a job. If we're undisciplined in relationships, we find ourselves alone a lot. But when we are undisciplined in our walk with God, here's what happened. Satan blinds us to the damage we are causing, and he, and, and he deprives us of the blessings God wants us to have. I mean, so it's so easy, right? When you stop uh, being disciplined in your walk with God in these five areas, we don't see it coming, but all of a sudden, Man, there's a lot of damage done by our undisciplined walk with God. It causes damage, and and we miss the blessings God wants us to have. So this is a a huge deal. Write this down. Spiritual disciplines are the things that shape us into the image of Jesus. So 2 Peter 1 verse 8 says, uh, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So so those are clear and powerful words. We can be useful. I mean, there's option one. We can be useful in building God's church, or we can be undisciplined, which means we're short-sighted, blind, forgetting what Jesus has done for us. It's so, so simple and so tragic, man, because when you're not in the word, when you're not on the knees, when you're not serving, when you're not giving, when you're not thinking about Jesus as a regular part of your life, you know what happens? It just gets further and further and further away from our mind. Then we get blind to what God's doing every day in this world, in our lives. And we miss the opportunities that God wants to give us and the blessing we receive when we take advantage of those opportunities. Um, So the determining factor really is um, how determined we are in exercising spiritual disciplines. So last week we talked about Bible study and prayer. Today we're going to talk about um, giving, serving, and sharing our faith. So let's start with serving. So write, write this down. Serving makes me more like Jesus. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come uh, to, be say, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So probably the, the clearest example Of Jesus being a servant in the Bible is in John chapter 13. Let me give you a little context Um, It was at the very end of Jesus's earthly ministry And he is meeting with his disciples in what we call the upper room and they were going to have what we call the last supper of course the disciples didn't know it was the last supper um, but Jesus did and they gather there And Jesus knows what's coming. He's hours away from the cross when Jesus first started his ministry, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Jesus is at the end of his ministry and he's getting ready to be that final Passover lamb. So, there in that upper room, this is happening, man, it's 10. You know what the disciples are talking about? Which one of them is the greatest? I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better. What's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest. That's what they're talking about. And while they're talking about who's going to be the greatest, Look what's on Jesus' mind. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. And he loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. They're thinking about themselves. He's thinking about them. Mm. Now look at John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew... That the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now now look what Jesus does with that authority. I mean, all authority in heaven and earth been given to him. He knew that. He gets that. Now look at verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him well, all authority. And I'm going to serve you. You know what Jesus is teaching us really? That serving and loving always go together. He said he loved them till the very end. And now he's serving them. And he washed their feet. So feet washing... Uh, In the first century, um, people walked everywhere they went. There were dusty roads, so their feet stayed dirty a lot. So it was customary when they would enter our house, the the lowliest servant would wash their feet. And this is what Jesus does. Um, Serving and loving always go together. It's true in our relationship with God. It's true in our relationship with everybody else, which brings up a great question. So if serving and loving always go together, what's the problem? <laughs> I mean, why don't every time we see somebody say, I love God, why don't we see them serving him? Why don't uh, in other, other relationships, why not in marriage, every time a spouse says, I love you, why don't we see them serving their spouse? If loving and serving always go together and they do, you know what the problem is? Our sin nature. Because our sin nature says, I want to love you, but I don't want to serve you. I want to love you, and in response to me loving you, I want you to serve me. We would never say this out loud, but it's probably true in a lot of people's lives. Our sin nature convinces us that Jesus exists for our pleasure. I'm in this relationship with Jesus for what he can do for me. Now, obviously, there are some things that only Jesus can do for us, and yes. But as believers, once we're born again, once we've been redeemed, am I in this relationship with Jesus so he can serve me at my pleasure? Or is there this thing in me that says, no. No. He's the king of glory. After all he did for me, there's not anything I wouldn't do for him. How do you see that? It's our sin nature that says, I love so you can serve. It's true in our marriages, right? I mean, I love you. Now you serve me. He creates so much conflict in marriage. But Jesus doesn't let us get by with that. He shows us that serving and loving always go together. Here's another thing that Jesus teaches us about serving is, I serve Jesus by serving people. I mean, God's just hardwired his church this way. God always uses one person's service to meet another person's Need. Um, that's why, man, we're always asking you to serve as a spiritual discipline because when you serve, you're meeting somebody else's need in the body of Christ. And when you meet their need, somebody else is serving and meets your need. And we always I mean, look, it takes hundreds of people every Sunday morning, serving every Sunday morning, just to make everything happen that happens here. And when you come in and sit and just say, I'm here, other people are serving you for you to be able to come in here and sit and receive from God what you need from God. Other people are serving to meet your need. So the question is, what are you doing to serve to meet somebody else's need? You know, by the way, that's one of the big reasons we've always had multiple services here. When we open our new worship center, we're going to have two services. You know why? So people can worship one and serve one. Because we don't want to put anybody in a position where they have to serve but can't worship. You know why? They'll get burnt out. So that's true for you. So you need to be asking yourself, what am I doing to serve the body of Christ? Because God uses one person to meet another person's need. Look at John 13, verse 12. After washing their feet... He put on his robe again and sat down and asked, boy, now there's a moment, right? He washes their feet one at a time. Then he sits down, looks them on the eye, asks them a question. Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Uh, Do as I have done to you, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you For doing them. So here's what service looks like. Jesus gives us this example. When we serve, we are acknowledging that Jesus is our Lord. And if he did it, we do it. We are following his example. And when we do it, we receive his blessing. It's hardwired into serving God. And there are just so many ways for you to serve God in his church here at OBC, I mean, man, there are dozens and dozens of ways. From the time you pull in the parking lot, there are people helping you get parked. There are people greeting you. There are people which waying you. There are people looking after your kids. There are people singing and worshiping just so you can you can sing and worship. Now there are people who print things, write things, just for you. Preschoolers. Middle schoolers, elementary school kids, high schoolers, single adults, married adults. Uh, There's so many different ministries here. And God wants you to serve in one of them. You go, well, how do I know? Well, here's what you do. We have a little thing called next steps. If you can say right now, I get it. And you know what? I've been a consumer long enough. It's time I become a contributor. You go to next steps. We'll find out what you're good at, what you love, help you get connected To the right place. My dad always used to say. If you want to serve Jesus. He'll let you. That's true. We're especially going to need help by the way. In our preschool. We're looking for people. Who love God's little ones. And understand this isn't playing. This isn't babysitting. This is building the truths of God. in the little kids at a very young age. So they grow in it the rest of their life. Lives. So, the next discipline is giving. I know you all are thinking, let's go back to serving. So, let's talk about giving. See, we we live in a world that basically um, sends this message 24-7. The more you have, the more you are. You, You are what you have. If you have a lot, you have great value. If you have little, you have little value. You you see, the world is always trying to convince us that our net worth and our self-worth are the same thing. That's a very dangerous way to see yourself. You know, the Bible says, Proverbs 23, 5, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Wow. You see... There's what we have. There's what God entrusts to us. And then there's who we are, and you have great value. In fact, you have so much value, Jesus thinks that he died for you. Don't confuse your net worth and your self-worth. I was telling uh, Jason Barrow this week, you know, I I always feel a little weird talking about money because especially over the years, Man, people have said so many weird things about our church in regard to giving. You know, when you join Osborne, you got to sign over your mortgage. When you join Osborne, you had somebody tell me this just a couple weeks ago. You have to show them a pay stub so that they know that you're tithing. It's crazy. How many of y'all have heard something stupid about Osborne like that? Wow, look at that. Half everybody, man. Now. But I talk about giving because it is a spiritual discipline, and it is an important spiritual discipline. But because giving is a spiritual discipline, it means you have to be intentional about doing it, and it will always be easier not to. You see, giving money and possessions in the Bible it's not just a financial issue. It's a spiritual issue. And the Bible talks so much about it. Look at this. 16 of 38 parables are about money and possession. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels are about money and possessions. The Bible devotes 500 verses to prayer, less than 500 verses to faith, and over 2,000 verses to money and possession. W- why? I mean, why does the Bible talk about money and giving so much because money is a spiritual issue, not just the financial issue. Therefore, it requires spiritual discipline. Now, I want to give you a little kind of just a snapshot about what giving in church looks like in America. Look at this. Uh, Church giving in America, the average amount given per person weekly is $17 in America. 5% of churchgoers tithe. So tithe is a Hebrew word that just means a tenth, and it's probably um, the most prominent model for giving in the Bible. So if you make $500 a week, you give $50 to the church for the work of God. That that has been a model of giving throughout generations uh, in the church, and it is still a very good model now. But only 5% of people who attend church yet, listen, 77% of those who tithe give more than 10%. Then you, know, you know what happens when you become a tither and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do it. It doesn't seem like I can afford it, but I'm going to believe God. And you start tithing. Then you know what happens? You go, uh, wow. I mean, I don't really miss it. God's really blessing me. So many good things are happening with the money that, that I give. God uses it for so many things. So pe- tithers all of a sudden go, I'm going to get more. I'm going to give more. So Jenny, when Jenny and I first got married, man, from the very first day, we said, we are going to tithe. And it was hard. I mean, we were poor. Then we went to seminary and got poorer. But we still kept tithing. And then you know what started happening? We just said, you know what, let's give 12%. Let's give 15%. Because it's such a blessing to be able to do it and see how God uses it. And then God blesses you for it in all kinds of ways. How about this? One-third of churchgoers count their time as giving. 33% of people who attend church in America say, Well, you know, man, I I work in the preschool two hours a week, and I figure my time's worth this much, so I'm going to count that as giving. One-third of people who attend church. The only problem is you can't read the Bible and pick up that kind of thing, man, because God says you need to serve and you need to give. Those are two different things, two different spiritual disciplines. You know what that tells me, though? I mean, people are always looking for a way To not give and be okay with God. There's no way to do it. It also tells me that people think they're worth a whole lot more than they're really worth. Oh, now I know who's doing it. I'm telling you guys, when you start thinking about that, I'm going to find a way to get around God's command to give. Be careful. How about this? The average American gives 2.5% of their income. But look now, during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. People give less of a percentage of their income now than they did during the Great Depression. How about this? This is one that always just stabs me in the heart, man. 50% of churchgoers give nothing. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, yeah, maybe that's true in some churches, but that can't be true in our church. yeah, I, mean, I mean, nothing in a whole year, 50%? It's true in our church. And I am really all up in y'all's grill, aren't I? <laughs> Listen, talking about this stuff is hard, but it's important. And I'll be honest with you, man, I... I don't get that. I don't get how 50% of people who attend church can be a 100% consumer and never give anything. Wow. For the other 50% of you, thank you so much. I'm just telling you, man. The small percentage of y'all who tithe and give on a regular basis. The money you give makes all the ministry here happen. Thank you so much. The truth is, giving answers three questions. Here's what they are. Write these down. Where's my heart? Uh, Jesus said, Matthew six twenty one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You don't get to disconnect your heart from your wallet. If your heart is in line with God's will, your money will be in line with God's will. If your money is out of line with God's will, your heart is out of line with God's will. Jesus said so. Second question, is God really first? Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. In other words, man, whatever God entrusts you, the first part goes back to God. You know why a lot of people don't give? Because they spend their money on everything else and then there's none left to give. But if you're going to do what God says and God's first, that never happens because he gets the first part of our income. Here's the third question. Uh, Do I believe what God says about giving? Do you really believe that? Uh, Look what God says about tithing specifically. Will a man rob God? Yet yeah, you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? I mean, I, I don't steal things from the church. How am I robbing God? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. It's the only place in the Bible God says, test me, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God said, just test me. Obey me with your money and you'll be surprised what I do. Um, So, if you don't remember anything else I say today. Remember this, when you obey God in giving, you will be the beneficiary. I promise you. All right, let's talk about sharing our faith. Um, So sharing our faith is a spiritual discipline. So that means we have to be intentional about it. And um, it'll always be easier not to do it. So. Giving and sharing our faith are probably the two things I ever talk about that people want to hear the least. People don't want to hear about giving because I just ran out think about it. People don't want to hear about sharing their faith because so few people do it. But I mean, just just think logically. If the church is silent, nobody will ever know Jesus. In fact, Romans says, just listen to this. um, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the name of the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe if no one has told them and they have never heard? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Wow. Okay. All right. I can tell you all thinking right now, please get me out of here. (laughs) So let me help you a little bit with this. Sharing our faith doesn't always mean we sit somebody down and preach the gospel to them can mean that. In fact, uh, there's a guy in our church, pretty successful business guy. He he called me a few weeks ago and said, man, I'm getting ready to meet with a client. And God has just laid on my heart so hard, man, so intensely that I I need to share the gospel with this guy. He's a pretty well-known atheist. And he said, I'm going to do it. You know, talk me through that. And he did. And the guy wasn't offended. He didn't get saved. But who knows? Got a lot of important seeds planted there. I mean, it just thrilled my soul that this brother was willing to just say, I need to tell you about my faith because I care about you. Hmm. Now, it doesn't always mean I'm going to sit you down and share the God's plan of salvation with you. You know what it means most of the time? Just letting Jesus be a part of your normal conversation. You know who the world's best is at this? My wife, Jenny. I, I, I kid you not. I mean, for years and years and years and years, I have seen this happen. Where so, somebody will just come to me and say, hey, um, I'm such and such. You know, your wife probably told me about No. <laughs> well, you know, I just saw her someplace. And next thing I know, man, I'm asking questions. And she's telling me about Jesus. And right there in the middle of that store, she just prayed with me. And, and she just does this all the time. I mean, I hear it all the time from people. That can be you. It only requires one thing. Open your mouth and talk about Jesus. It's not self-righteous. It's important. And you, if you look around, God will give you all kinds of opportunities for this. You see somebody and you tell, they tell you, man, they're going through some really hard things. man. You know, when I've gone through really hard things, can I tell you how important it was that Jesus was there for me? And can I just pray with you? Or, you know, do you go to church anywhere? Won't well, you just come? I think you'll be really encouraged. But most people go through their lives week after week after week after week, come to church, but never think about. What God's given them and given it to somebody else. This is a huge deal. So, sharing my faith does a couple things. Here's the first one. Write this down. It proves I understand the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Jesus. You know how you know you're not ashamed of something? You talk about it. You know how you know you are ashamed about something? You're silent about it. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Here's another thing. Um, sharing my faith proves I care about people's souls. Here's a question. That's an important question. If you're listening, say amen. Who is waiting on the other side of your obedience to share your faith. You see, somebody's waiting just for you to open your mouth about Jesus. All right, so some final thoughts about discipline. So, Bible study prayer, serving, giving. Sharing my faith, spiritual disciplines that we teach on a regular basis here, we all need those things, and we need to practice them all regularly. So look at Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. I love that, man. Probably says something about participation trophies, where everybody's a winner, I don't know, but... Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined, there's our word, in their training. They do it to win a prize. That will fade away. But we do it for an eternal price. I mean, man, when we exercise spiritual disciplines, these are things that are going to last forever. Verse 26. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So here's what happens. Look at this. Um, practicing spiritual disciplines, here's what happens. Motivates my heart. I mean, it does something in you that says, yes, I will, Jesus. It focuses my life. There are so many things that distract you, so many things, 24, 7, 6 days a week that distract you from what you know here and experience here and learn here. So we got to focus. We got to dial a lot of those other things out so we can get focused on Jesus. And it covers my vulnerability You see, all of us are vulnerable to all kinds of stuff. But when we practice spiritual disciplines, it protects us. That's why Paul said, I do this so that otherwise I fear that I myself might be disqualified. I'm just telling you, man, if I didn't practice spiritual disciplines on a regular basis, I wouldn't be a pastor. I'd probably be divorced. I wouldn't have a lot of friends. You know how I know that? I know me. And practicing those spiritual disciplines Helps me die to myself so I can live for Jesus. Now, what happens if we ignore those things? Ignoring spiritual disciplines causes spiritual boredom. So you think, "Eh, I know all that Jesus stuff. What? I'm just telling you, man, you start getting serious about spiritual disciplines. You get in the word, you're going to go, I don't know anything about this. It, the depths of the truth of God's word are unbelievable. I'll never get it all. When you get on your knees and you start knowing Jesus in a real personal, intentional way, you're going to find out, man, I can't breathe without him. But you ignore those things. You just think, yeah, I know Jesus. And it results in, uh, in selfishness. I'm just telling you, man, your own flesh will overpower You every time without the spiritual disciplines that help us die to ourselves. I agree with Mark Wahlberg. He said, my ego is not my amigo. So I, spiritual disciplines, protects me from me. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, God, that uh, your word gives us all these instructions, Lord, to know uh, these disciplines that, that are necessary in our lives to serve you well and to live for you and to love you and love other people the way you want us to, God. So I pray, Lord God, right now for everybody here, that these things, God, just sink into their hearts and they can right now in this very moment examine their lives and ask, Where do I need to be more disciplined? God, would you just show them that right now? And would you encourage them right now, God, that they can do all of these things because you're here to help them, because you love them so much. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.